0: Welcome to Smith Weekly Discussions, an occasional program for our members of Smith Weekly Research. Please note this program is a private discussion and everything contained herein is for entertainment and educational purposes only. With that, we hope you're in a comfortable position, along with your favorite beverage, to enjoy that discussion. We remind our audience to examine our show notes attached to each of our shows to better understand how our program functions. Before we get into our discussion, we want to say thanks for questions coming from our audience of Smith Weekly, including Jackie A, Ryan S, Mike P, and Nick W. We have a new guest of a returning company with us today, Mr. Stuart McDonald is on the program. Stuart is the president and now CEO of Taseco Mines, a mid-tier copper producer with the core Gibraltar mine in British Columbia and a set of notable growth pipeline projects including the near-term Florence ISR copper project in Arizona, United States, as well as a strong pipeline of development projects at Yellowhead, Harmony, and New Prosperity in British Columbia. TSECO is a portfolio holding at Smith Weekly Research. The company is listed on the New York Stock Exchange under the symbol TGB, on the Toronto Stock Exchange under the symbol TKO, and also on the London Stock Exchange under the symbol TKO. Mr. McDonald, welcome to the show. How are you, sir?
1: I'm well, thanks, Andrew. Uh, Thanks for having me on your show. Happy to be here.
0: Well, Stuart, let's kick it off here. Why don't you give us your mile high view of the copper market and specifically, um, you know, where do you think we are? Are we in early stages of this copper price uptrend and we've got years to go? What's your thoughts?
1: Yeah, it's it's certainly been an interesting time. Um, you know, where we were, I guess, 15 months ago on the bottom of the pandemic, copper price is close to $2. You know, since then just a very strong recovery and I guess in our view, that's been driven primarily by economic growth in China and demand for copper. And we think it's, you know, we think over the longer term that that demand growth is going to continue. We'll expect that, you know, some of the some of the demand factors. I mean, the economic and the stimulus uh, infrastructure stimulus investments that are going to start happening in the U.S. and Europe, um, you know, following the path that, that China has taken. I think that's going to be bullish. And then in the longer term, of course, you've got the uh, the whole electrification story and the transition to renewable energy and electric vehicles, which is all very positive um, for demand over the longer term so we look at uh copper out you know three two three four five years and and we think it's a very strong outlook um, we think copper's gonna gonna you know is a is a commodity of the future, and uh, yeah we're bullish so i mean that's the demand side too and and The supply side we can talk about as well but there's there's some real challenges there.
0: You know one of the things that part of this now is you have the copper price where it stands today and with you looking at the global constraints on the supply side as far as you know projects not getting permitted or extremely delayed um, just the lead time to get there is your thought that we are at an incentive price? That would bring on a lot more projects in the years to come, or do you think that uh, because of the cyclical nature of this business, that the copper price, like last time, can go up substantially from here and even hang there for a time before the supply catches up? What's your thoughts just on that set of topics?
1: A lot of the analysts are, are talking about or have been talking about three or three twenty-five long-term copper. You know, I don't personally think that's that's a high enough price to incentivize um enough mines to be built to to meet the growing demand i I think that you know that the the true incentive price has got to be much higher than that um we've been over four dollars here for the last few months but you know a a blip above four dollars does not incentivize um companies to to change their you know to change their capital plans dramatically i think that people have to have conviction that copper is going to be above four dollars for for a period of time and and then you know then maybe you see um some of these investments getting financed because it's remember you got a as a mining company it may be it our view is is important but we've got to convince uh you know banks and and shareholders and other other financing parties that that copper prices are going to be over four dollars for 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 a long period of time so it's it's challenging i think it's going to take some time before the market gets gets to that realization and, and in the meantime yeah we just don't see a lot of new projects getting built
0: agreed i think there's a good amount of time there to, yet to come with a lot of these and you're absolutely right you can't have just a quick spike in prices and get anybody motivated to actually make some decisions and i yeah. think we've got some time yet to go here certainly and i think If this were a baseball game, I think that we're not uh, even mid innings yet. So early stage, in my view. Well, I'll tell you what. Your first time on the program, and of course, Russ joined us back in it was October 2019 for a really good chat. But how about you lay out your resume to our audience and your expertise on this business?
1: Sure. I've. uh, I mean, I guess my background. I'm trained as a as an accountant, but joined uh, joined the mining industry on the finance side about. 17 years ago, been with two or three companies before joining TECO. Most of my time was spent with a company called Quadra Mining, um, which I joined in about 2007 at the beginning of, or, or I guess in the midst of the first real uh, copper cycle that, that we've experienced in the last 20 years. and. Um, yeah, had a had a good good experience there. We went through a period at of Quadra of, of, between about 2007 and 2011 of of a rapid growth. Um, the company had an M and A strategy, and um, ultimately, I guess was went through a merger and then and then was sold. Then uh, had a brief stint at a at a company called Yukon Zinc, and then joined Tosico, um as CFO in 2013, and so I've been with Tescio now for eight years was CFO until about 2019, and then became president and have been president for the last two years. So, you know, I, I think we've had a great experience here over the last eight or nine years, and, and it's been good to be a part of the team that has really put some of our growth assets that we now have into place. Right. We, we acquired Florence in 2014 and have moved that project forward. We acquired Yellowhead in 2019. And it's been exciting to see it come together, and, and it's a great opportunity for me as uh, CEO now to to take it forward and see what we can do.
0: Well, recent news you're adding the role of CEO. Russ is moving to the a board position only at the company, and of course, I'm pleased to see him stay involved. Such a fantastic guy and sound operator and veteran of this business. Talk about the transition, and you know how important has Russ been to the success of this company, and the importance of you know him still staying here for that next phase of growth.
1: He's been instrumental. You know, he's put this management team together. I think if you go back to 2005 or so when Russ joined, um, we had a very small management team at that time. Gibraltar had just been restarted. Um, And so Russ really brought with him, you know, the key members of our operating team. He, you know, recruited our, our executive team essentially uh, himself and, and has put it all together and I think his vision is you know what we've done at Gibraltar is really you know a testament to his vision and, and yeah and now and then also at the same time assembling a pipeline of projects that we have it's you know he, he's been a big part of that so it's great it's been a great partnership I think for for me to work with Russ over the last seven or eight years and I've learned a lot from him I'm a different uh I'm a different person than Russ for sure, but you know I think we've complemented each other very well over the years, and happy to be in my, be in a position to to take it forward. Russ is going to stay on the board and very much involved in in the company going forward. So it's been an orderly, I would say, a fairly orderly transition here, and and a great opportunity for me, and and I think it's worked out well.
0: Yeah, excited to see this go forward and all the pieces fall in place there, and uh, it takes a lot of different personalities to make this all work, as you know. Well, let's uh, get into the capital structure here. How about you just give us an update, Stuart, on the shares out at this point, uh, a view on the cash on hand, and then also the debt situation here?
1: Yeah, on the, on the balance sheet side right now, um, you know, with that bond refinancing that we did in January, we upsized the bond from 250 to $400, and, and really the rationale for that was to bring some additional cash onto the balance sheet to fund the Florence Build. So I think at the end of the first quarter, we ended with about 200 million of cash on the balance sheet and roughly 400 million U.S. of debt. And we we move forward from here. We've got, you know, at these levels, we've got most of the most of the cash we need to build Florence. So we feel that that's, you know, strong in a a strong position in terms of, you know, it's possible we may not need any incremental financing to build out Florence. You know, over the longer term, when we get Florence up and running, we're going to be a different company. We're going to be generating um, a lot more EBITDA and we'll have options in terms of future potentially reducing debt or or who knows, potentially bringing in a dividend at some point down the road. But, you know, pretty excited about the transformation that's going to happen here with with the second operation coming on. Yeah, the shares, I mean, uh, 600 million U.S. market cap, just over $2 U.S. a share. We're close to 280 million shares outstanding. Obviously the shares had a good a good run, you know, very good run over the last years. We're coming out of the pandemic. And, you know, I think the leverage that the company has to the copper price is really evident. You know, you see us moving up and down with uh with the metal price. And but, you know, I think maybe the piece that's that's overlooked in, in the share is, is really the developments of Florence. We don't feel that we're getting full value for that project yet in our equity. So that is the That is something that we work on and we believe this is still to come as further upside in our shares.
0: That sounds good Stuart and I want to cover a little bit more here on Florence in a moment but let's go to Gibraltar here and just get a a basic operations update from you. I understand lower grade material has been consumed for the first half of this year but high grade material is coming uh, due to some transitions out there on site. During the second half, you guys will have better numbers, I suspect, coming out. But can you just talk about general operations update and then talk about your expectations to finish out the year?
1: Yeah, I think, um, you know, what we've seen at at Gibraltar over the last two quarters, I guess Q4 last year and Q1 this year was cycling through some lower grade sections of the pit. And we we're, were at the beginning of Q4 last year, we finished mining in the granite pit. Um, where we'd been essentially for almost 10 years of mining. Um, so we finished there and we began to mine and, and began to ore or get ore release out of the uh, Pollyanna pit. And typically what, what we see in our ore body is, gen, is, is lower grade ore that comes out of the higher benches of the deposit. But as we work down deeper in, into the pits, we get generally higher grades. You know we think six months there was was lower grade and you saw that in our results where production was a little bit lower than normal fully expecting that that grade will uh, then that production will will tick up in the second quarter and that's that's what we're seeing now and then particularly in the in the second half of this year we'll see much higher grades and likely above above average grades so this is the normal cycle that, that we've seen in the past at gibraltar It it causes people you know, that are new to our company, a little bit of time to, to understand that, but we, we really emphasize that, you know, you got to look at, when you're looking at Gibraltar, you got to look at 12 month periods when you do that, I think you'll see we've been fairly consistent around that kind of 0.25% reserve grade. So yeah, and that's and that's likely where we'll end up in that range. Uh, that's where we'll end up for, for 2021, the current year as well. So back half of the year, Uh, second half so just to summarize second quarter will be better than the first quarter second half will be a lot better than the first half yeah you know with copper prices where they are it's shaping up to be a great
0: year we're very comfortable with Gibraltar and what you guys are doing there and it's it's a a steady operation which is what we'd like to see it's just cornerstone for the company and you guys seem to keep adding runway to it as well Stuart. and with that can you maybe just talk about just maybe remind the audience who and some who probably don't know, can you talk about the current mine life and then also the potential on exploration to keep this asset really at good run rates uh, for the next 15 years plus?
1: Yeah, I mean, as as things stand today, we've got 17 years of reserves remaining. And, you know, we, we will will continue to see production uh, fairly stable over those 17 years at around the 1, 130 million annual production plus or minus. You know, there's no major Blips in that, so it'll it'll continue to be pretty stable. There is very much, uh, you know, there's definitely exploration potential on the property. Um, I would say, generally speaking, Tosico has not has not done uh, extensive amounts of exploration or drilling on on the project, and you know, I think that's something that we're going to turn our attention to here. Um, we've got a little bit of work a little bit of geophysics happening on the pro- uh, on the property in the last couple of months and we'll likely have some news coming up here with a drill program that will occur in the fall or in the late summer so you know there's there's definitely um potential we think it's a big ore body i think if you look back at the history we've all uh, of gibraltar we've all always been successful in converting resources to reserves and keeping uh keeping a long mine life i think that'll continue
0: maybe just talk about the hedging program for a moment. You guys have strategically made some pretty good moves with the put program over the years, but you know, with the copper price run recently, was there some, you know, talk amongst management about, you know, maybe this is overheated short term on the copper price, was there any discussion about putting in some protection, Stewart, or did you guys see that, you know, you were comfortable with the price and that you're just going to keep exposure to the upside? What was kind of the thought process as you guys saw this copper price run?
1: Yeah, I mean, we've we've always focused on on protecting the downside. Um, you know, that's a strategy that has served as well. You know, going back to probably 2009 or 2010, um, we've done that consistently. We think that uh, it's a good investment of shareholders' money to to essentially buy insurance, and we've seen that that put protection pay for itself uh, many times over the years when you have a sudden sharp uh, drop in the price. And so we do that, uh, I would say fairly consistently, and we try to balance the cost of the insurance versus, you know, the amount of protection we're getting. Definitely a cost benefit analysis that we do. So that'll, that's what we've done and that, that will continue. In terms of taking advantage of, you know, spikes up, you know, I we want to be a little bit careful there. I think that most of our shareholders are are buying to seco shares because they want that exposure to the copper price upside we have a lot of leverage and that's why people buy our stock or one of the reasons why people buy our stock so we're not going to you know lock in forward price and and take that leverage away i don't think that's the right thing to, to do and you know but but there's other ways that that we've we've thought about um you know whether that be copper collars or things like that and i think that's a strategy that that uh, you know we definitely think about, but uh, we want to have um, a hedging strategy that allows shareholders to participate in the upside, and that that's really the key thing.
0: Yeah, I agree, and there's a lot of upside to come, at least in our view, anyway. Maybe we're wrong, but we're certainly here for that leverage as well, and. I want to come back and ask you about the peers in a little bit, and and I like your comment on the expiration. I think there's a place to to slide in some expiration work there to continue to to show you know how important Gibraltar is to the company. But let's talk about Florence for a moment. I'm going to make the assumption that the EPA permit will be in hand by the end of August, potentially here with the current cash on hand plus the surplus flows from Gibraltar. Are you comfortable moving ahead in full on Florence? without the need to sell a minority interest or really do anything on that front at this point. Yeah, we are. We
1: are. And that's, um, you know, the benefit we've had from the copper price increase, you know, at these levels over $4, we don't need a JV partner. We we may still do a minority sale, but it'll only be at an attractive valuation if we can get that. And so, you know, we're not going to be forced into a transaction that doesn't make sense. And, And yeah, that's the benefit of having a, Great cash flows coming from Gibraltar uh, and a strong market. So, yeah, it's uh, it's a good position to be in. It's certainly the run we have in the copper price has changed the dynamics on some of those discussions we were having a year ago. So we're we're ready to go. And when we get that permit, we're going to be starting into construction. And, and uh, yeah, it's it's looking uh, it's looking very promising for us going forward here.
0: Two follow up questions there, Stuart. With the existing partner at Gibraltar, how's that relationship? is there an interest potentially if the price is right that some existing partners and groups you guys know well do come in on Florence is that a potential and then also can you just tie this in here assuming that permit is in hand by the end of August as I would expect just give us a quick timeline here to what you see as maybe the first production date potentially. In terms of potential partners
1: you know we do have yeah we have had a successful partnership at Gibraltar with a consortium of three Japanese companies, and, and that dates back to 2011, and that's that's been a successful model for us. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of interest out of those companies in, in getting access to the metal offtake, and we've seen similar interest uh, from that type of company at Florence. And so, you know, without commenting on any names in particular, but that's that would be um, the type of partner that you know, we we would like to have, um, generally speaking, at our, at our projects. So that's a model we like. And, you know, we can talk about Yellowhead as well later. But, you know, those are the type of partnerships that we think work well in the mining industry for companies like Taseco And then in terms of the, the general timeline for the project, if we're starting construction here potentially in the fall, uh, we do need that final EPA permit to do that but once we get that we expect to kick off here in the fall it's about an 18 month construction period and we can be producing uh first copper here in early early 2023 first half of 2023 so that's uh you know the first year at lawrence will be a will be a ramp up year i think according to our following our our feasibility study we expect to produce around 50 million pounds that year for the first 12 months and then by the end of that period we're, we're essentially running at capacity rates 85 million pounds will be the the profile going forward for a 20-year mine life or 21-year mine life so as i said it's going to be a big a big change for our company and we're really looking forward to it
0: i am too i'm excited to see this get in there and i'm sure the folks in the local community are going to be excited to see this come to light here it's, it's a game changer for the company and it's a game changer for the pipeline which uh brings me into my next comments here. You know, it's it's pretty clear in the market that Tesco gets some credit for Gibraltar. Now, I think Russ would say maybe that, uh, that not enough credits due there, a little bit of credit maybe for Florence, but zero expectation for pipeline, which is really uh, beyond in terms of talking Yellowhead, New Prosperity, Harmony, and Alley. This also takes me back to your guys's you guys do a comparison in regards to some peers and and reserves. There hasn't been a lot of love in the market for that complete giving some credit to what the team has done. And that's to me, you know, this Florence component, Stuart, really solidifies that, you know, this is uh this is something that people need to pay attention to. But what's your thoughts just on that discredit of the pipeline? And then also when it comes to looking at this mid tier market, which we take a hard look at, there's not a lot of companies out there and you guys to me, is the absolute standout. So, what are your thoughts? We
1: have a slide in our, our corporate presentation where we show our our reserves, and you know, I think that's important. Uh, copper reserves in the ground we have over we have uh, nearly 15 billion pounds of of copper in reserves across the four copper assets, and those are you know that's um, that's that's value in the ground that that you know is going to be realized over time and there's different ways of, of realizing that value but it's going to happen on all of, on all of those assets so that's what we work on um, every day is, is how to create value out of that portfolio it's a long-term strategy I think it takes uh, it takes time and takes a bit of patience over time we're hopeful that that value is going to be recognized by the market um, and I think you're right we don't we don't get value right now for uh, we get some value for Gibraltar I think that's reasonably understood by the market, but certainly for Florence, um, you know, we don't get full value for it and Yellowhead and New Prosperity and Alley are, are really zeros. It's frustrating in a way that we don't because we we compare ourselves to some of these smaller single asset companies that have large market caps with, with a development project in them. Um, and I think, uh, you know, if you did a sum of the parts analysis on our portfolio, you would come up with Come up with a big number but for whatever reason the market doesn't seem uh, to recognize that but hey we're not we're not discouraged we think we're <laughs> we think we're on the right track with a with a long-term strategy here to create and uh that pipeline approach is really fundamental has been fundamental to the company and if you look back you know we, we've had a strategy of acquiring bringing in projects at a low cost and moving them through the pipeline um, of of engineering studies permitting construction and uh, if you go back 20 years or 21 years ago, we acquired Gibraltar uh, for a dollar. And we, we restarted that asset, we reinvested and built it up into a world-class, uh, into a world-class operation. We, and then, you know, then in, in at Florence in 2014, we acquired that one for about 60 million bucks. And it's now, you know, eight, uh, seven years later on the cusp of, of becoming our second operation. and. You know, we think Yellowhead, we acquired that one in 2019. That, that's potentially coming next behind Florence. So it's a pipeline strategy. It's a long term business in our view, and that's the way we approach it.
0: It's a nice pipeline, and some of the assets independently are company makers on their own. I mean, New Prosperity. I mean, as these uh, copper, you know, bigger copper companies and gold companies cash flow and, and start to stack up their balance sheet, Stuart, I mean, there's some assets there that are notable. These are some of these assets are tier one in yeah. current measures by even Mark Bristow's criteria. Um, right. So it's it's uh, interesting on that front. And then you look out for uh, the free ports of the world and you see what they've had challenges with Grassberg and Indonesia and looking to make some various moves there as the copper price increases here. They've got to be looking to, uh, you know, obviously shoring up their balance sheet now with cash flows and then also looking to, uh, you know, advance their projects. One of those being a, a key project in Arizona as well.
1: I think one of the Important points about our pipeline as well is um, is the location of where the assets are. You know, Canada, the U.S. is where we've primarily focused, and uh, we stayed away from a lot of those problem areas um, around the world where the copper mines, or where where there are, are lots of copper projects. You know, whether it's Central Africa, Indonesia, Mongolia, Zambia. You know, all these jurisdictions have had real challenges, right? And Over the years and even now uh, in Chile and Peru we're seeing you know a lot of increased political risk and so and and that's where a lot of the big mines are that are needed to close the supply gap as well so you know we think over time the value of of our pipeline located in BC and and Arizona is is going to become increasingly uh, increasingly apparent and and yeah so we're happy with our our profile from a, a jurisdictional point of view for
0: sure. Yes, you know, I'll give some credit to Robert Friedland and Ivanhoe at the DRC. They've done a good job with, you know, keeping on the right side of the government and so forth and community and doing things pretty well there, but you're absolutely right The jurisdiction is a is a key consideration as we see these events take place in these various jurisdictions. Let's talk Yellowhead for a sec. You know, assuming Florence and Gibraltar remain strong, which I assume that they will, and the copper price cooperates in a way You know, Yellowhead slots in really well down the road with expectation that this CapEx, yet to be optimized, of course, but this CapEx could be handled in part from future cash flows, given the time frame on Yellowhead, plus with Florence coming in here. Can you just talk briefly about just a high-level schedule as you see Yellowhead advance here? And maybe you can just include a a permitting time frame. I mean, I know Yellowhead's a a five-year-plus project from here, but... uh, What's your thoughts on timeline and really if things go that this is going to work out pretty well from a cash flow standpoint most likely?
1: No absolutely. Um, we think Yellowhead slots in very well um, in in kind of a sequential development after uh, after Florence so the schedule on that project we we believe it's about a two or three year process to permit that mine in here in BC. Um, we're doing some of the early stages of that work right now. We're really focused on um, community relations and 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 building up our our relationship with the local First Nations. Um, we think that's a key aspect right now to get through a permitting process effectively. You know, so if we can if we can do that, then it then the project is suddenly it's it's shovel ready. You know, in 2023 or maybe early 2024. And that's right around the time where where Florence is really starting to churn out good cash flows for us. So, yeah, it, it sets up very well. It's a, as you noted, it's a, it'll be a larger capex um, build. I think it's about a one billion US uh, capex, uh, based on our our last technical study. Um, but you know, with the two operate when we have the two operations running, Florence and Gibraltar, we're going to be generating several hundred million dollars a year of EBITDA. And suddenly, you know, a, a billion dollar project, particularly if we, if we follow the model with the, you know, potentially another JV partner, or maybe we sell a 25% interest to an off taker. Um, you know, maybe it's a Japanese trading company again, but suddenly, you know, with that type of structure, it becomes a very manageable project for us to build. And it would be another step change in our, um, in our production profile. So with, with Gibraltar and Florence, we'll be producing about 185 million pounds copper from those two operations and yellowhead would double that again so yellowhead would would yellowhead's production is around 180 to 200 million pounds a year of of copper in those initial years so um, it represents a further uh, step change in our in our growth profile and it could be online and you know could be online in 2025 right at the time again where we think that copper prices are going to be very strong so you know it's exciting it's an exciting profile we believe um, we think it's a, a prudent strategy that we have to develop these projects in sequentially like this. And um, yeah, we're again, we're optimistic about the copper markets that will drive a lot of our, our decisions, but uh, I think it shapes up well. Compelling story. And I think, yeah, you have, if you look at our company out with, you know, in five years with potentially 350 to 380 million pounds of, of annual production, it, we'd, we'd be one of the largest copper producers in North America
0: yeah be interesting to see how the majors uh, look down at this uh, in the years to come and also what happens if there is to be some some good mna that happens uh, as price goes up here and everybody's balance sheet starts to look a lot healthier let's move on here just a little bit and talk i guess a little bit broader schedule here florence goes well here as planned steady state at florence and you know you guys are putting together some good cash flows there is the plan also not only to advance in parallel with Yellowhead, but potentially look at the same period as trying to advance new prosperity from here? Where does that potentially slot in?
1: New prosperity is in obviously a unique situation. Um, you know, it's had some, um, I mean, first off, it's a, it's a fantastic deposit. I mean, it's a copper gold porphyry. It's one of the largest undeveloped copper gold deposits in, in the world. So it's a it's a great asset, but it's had its challenges in terms of permitting, and the big issue there has been opposition by a local First Nations group. We're working on that now. We're in a facilitated dialogue with the provincial government and the and the Chilcotin National Government, trying to find a path through that. But it's you know I, I would say it's an uncertain timeline. It's not something you can put a put a schedule on per se. Um, It's going to involve some type of coming to some type of arrangement with with the province and the and the First Nations about that. So, again, it's one that we we work. We spend a lot of time uh, working on, you know, and and I think it represents an option for us. But it's hard to say exactly when that's going to come to fruition.
0: Stuart, what's your thoughts as far as? uh what do you see as you know, how this goes forward, if you can maybe just share a little bit more, you know, how does the local community and TSECO come together on the common ground to see this advance to the benefit really of the local community, the economy there and the opportunities at the local level. The provincial government, obviously, this is a big deal and also meaningful growth for TSECO. What do you think? Any further thought there? Do you guys think that everybody can get on board and really see the benefits across the board to move this ahead?
1: Um look we in terms of the broader um community in the Caribou there's there's great support for the project but there's a small group of an indigenous population there the Chilcotin the, the project is located in within their traditional territory and, and it's a sensitive issue for them and they wield a, a lot of power in in the region and with the provincial government as to whether the projects are go forward or not so that's the that's the tricky issue that we're we're trying to navigate yeah it's a fantastic economic opportunity for the for the region um, for the province and for the local communities in that you know, surrounding that property but uh we'll see we'll see it's not uh it's, you know it's not always easy to uh, convince people of the merits of a mining project. It's a challenge we see um, around the world and and uh, it takes time and it takes a little bit of patience so but that's what we're
0: working on you know you guys are not strangers to challenging projects. Gibraltar and, and what you and Russ and the team has been able to do there with local community and your guys' initiatives to keep local community engaged to the fullest extent, not only for direct jobs and direct impacts, but also incidental, you know, businesses and so forth that support that operation. And then you guys have also had challenges with, uh, you know, getting Florence and everybody there to understand that this is a uh, a very, very net positive good project, especially with your guys' ISR route here, which is, uh, in my view, uh, quite a game changer. It's a tougher technology, but you guys appear to be smoothing out that very well. And so here we go again with Yellowhead, too. And so I think you guys have certainly the expertise in-house here to you know see this go forward and, and find a common ground. I think at the end of the day, this is a, a net positive for everybody. But, uh, well, I appreciate the comments on that. And any comments on Harmony or Alley at this point, Stuart?
1: No, they're both projects that are, you know, they're identified deposits. I would say they're not exploration stage deposits. They're development stage. But um, I would say probably non-core for, for taseco at the current time. Um, and, um, you know, we, we've got our hands full, we think, with Florence and Yellowhead. and But we'll look for ways... You know, to to create value from those assets as well, and again, that's those are opportunities that we we work on as different ways to to create value for shareholders rather than you know other than building a mine. So um, we'll see what we can do in the coming years.
0: Thanks for talking about those because those are also something that have zero value. And uh, you know, Alley, for example, is uh, interesting in itself, and there's uh, good potential there, and they're not uh, they're not small projects either. So uh,
1: no, you know, yeah. And yeah. And the, and the alley, I mean, the niobium market is obviously it's a little bit outside of our, our focus on copper. It's a niche market, but it's a pretty exciting um, metal. You know, it's really something that that we think is going to grow in value in the coming years. It's used uh, primarily, niobium, primarily used in lightweighting of steel. And, and there's also uh use that it's beginning to be used in uh in batteries as well as a replacement for for lithium and we've seen some pretty exciting announcements in out of toshiba in japan on that front so these are again it's reserve um it's in the ground and we think over time you know the value of these assets is is going to be realized and, and may grow in the coming years so it's it's not to be not to be ignored for sure
0: i want to tie in the mergers and acquisitions in the copper you know, mid-tier segment here with your guys' pipeline. What are your thoughts on M&A at this stage? And are you comfortable not needing to do M&A yourself given the pipeline, obviously it's uh, pretty substantial here, but, you know, let me tie that in with core and non-core assets here. Do you see that there is any interest in selling off or partnering, uh, monetizing any of these pipeline projects, or is it TSECO's goal to remain with the majority interest in all of them? And obviously, uh, from the view of you guys, there's probably no need for M&A yourselves, but uh, maybe you have a view on bigger M&A as far as the majors looking towards the mid-tier space or even consolidation of mid-tiers.
1: Yeah, I mean, we we haven't seen a lot of M&A activity generally in our in the in the copper sector yet i think that the you know the majors diversified you know talk about developing copper as it was a priority but you know we haven't seen them get aggressive yet on on acquisitions but i think as you see sustained copper prices over four dollars for a period of time you, you know that may change i'm not sure you know in terms of consolidation or bigger companies coming after after Taseco. Um, certainly, that's something that you know we're not going to initiate ourselves. You know, we believe that the best way for us right now to create value is to keep moving our pipeline forward, get Florence built, operating, and, and generating cash flow. Um, we think that in itself is going to be a huge catalyst for our share price. So, you know, we, we certainly don't think this is the time for for Tosico to be entertaining uh, any type of M and A uh, activity using our currency, using our share currency that's our approach there and as you noted you know on on the acquisition side of it um, we have a we have a full pipeline we don't really need to to be doing acquisitions to uh, to build out our company because we've got we've got all the assets we need in-house so uh, but you know we keep our eye out I mean there's a few we we keep our eye out at at some earlier stage opportunities in in our jurisdictions but it's not really a, a key focus for us. On the disposition, you know, in terms of our our existing portfolio, and and if there's other ways of of creating value from our non-core assets, certainly that's something that we look at, and we're open to, uh, you know, we're open to different ways of of creating value. We don't have to own and operate all of our projects and build them all ourselves to uh, to create value. So again, as, as I said, there's different ways of of doing that, and if there's if it's a disposition or a JV or if if someone wants to partner with us on assets, we're always open to those those kind of discussions, but it's got to make sense for a share price.
0: I agree with the strategy, Stuart. I think you guys have fundamentally got that view correct, um, and it certainly aligns with what I think as well. Not that my opinion matters much here. Okay, environmental <laughs> social governance. Uh, this is a trendy topic, and I'm sure Russ would have a constructive view on ESG. But what's your view on ESG, Stuart? And really, this is a set of principles that Tascico has carried through company history. And you know, maybe you can just give you your flavor for ESG and what it means to the company today.
1: I think we've we've always taken these issues very seriously. I think that if you look at the way we have operated Gibraltar, you know, our focus on environmental protection. If you look at our track record in terms of employee safety. And, uh, and compliance it's it's a very strong record um I think what is perhaps changed a little bit with in, in the last couple of years is we're, we're trying to we're, we're putting more effort into telling that story at Gibraltar and i guess the other aspect to it is the contribution that we make to the surrounding communities and you know employment is one aspect but you know there's there's a big there's a big contribution that we make um in that region from our from our mind and we'll do the same thing at florida so it's really um, the way we think about ESG reporting is really telling that story properly because we think that um, we've got a great story to tell. We're doing things the right way. Getting the message out, well, so we started, I think in 2020, May, 2020, we published our first sustainability report and then we followed that up in April with, this, with the second annual one. So um, it's an interesting, a very interesting and informative report. It's on our website. I encourage people to take a look at it because it, it's a lot of things that go on that maybe aren't top of mind for uh, shareholders but you know are very important for the communities that we operate in. So I would say our approach has been to tell our story and, and do, it, do it our way. We have not yet um, latched on to a particular uh, framework. I know there's all kinds of different guidance out there and different groups trying to jockey to be to be an industry standard we have not joined up with any of anyone in particular yet but you know we're focused on telling our story our way and uh, we believe we've got a as i said a, a great story to tell
0: yeah i know there's a lot of companies out there that wave these reports in their hands but they're not really doing anything i think you guys uh, are showing that on the ground test the difference. And any specific initiatives that you want to bring up, uh, maybe at Florence, maybe at Gibraltar that you just want to mention on the, maybe the community side, which is the the side that I really have preference for, I think is important. But any particular initiatives you want to point out, maybe at the First Nation level, community efforts?
1: You know, we focus on a diverse workforce, I think, at at the mines. Um, We want our workforce to be representative of, of the communities where we operate. So whether that's ensuring we are attracting Women to work at the mine, or Indigenous people. You know, we want to show that we are open and, and uh, you know, giving people all the opportunities to, to participate in, in what we do. So, that's a big focus at the mine. I think the other thing that, that maybe people don't uh, don't realize about our operations is we're also uh, very low in terms of uh, GHG emissions. So, at at Gibraltar, in terms of carbon emissions per ton of copper. You know, that mine is a, is a first quartile global copper mine. And we had an independent review done by Scarn Associates to verify that. So we're low on the emissions. And then of course with Florence coming on, Florence with the efficiency and the uh, minimal environmental impact there, we're gonna be, Florence will be one of the lowest uh, GHG emission copper mines in the world. And so that will drive us even higher in, in the rankings on a consolidated basis. So that's something that maybe people don't, don't realize about DeSeco that we are very efficient in that way. And yeah, it's it's a good story to tell. We see it being an increasing focus. Some of the major miners making announcements, well, we're already, you know, we're already a long way
0: there. Right. Stuart, uh, on Florence, will some of the efforts, obviously, there be uh, certainly employment, Is I my suspicion there for that region, employment would be one item, and then also maybe some educational scholarship programs and then will there be any, any transfer between the mines as far as expertise coming down and wisdom transfer from ISR to conventional? Any of that stuff happening?
1: You know, we've got I mean they're 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 very different, obviously different very different types of operations, Gibraltar being a large throughput open pit mine and then Florence is a an in situ, you know, smaller scale operation in terms of footprint. But you know there are there are principles I guess or operational standards that we're bringing from Gibraltar down to, down to Florence in terms of um, a focus on safety um, and training programs some initiatives on on the HR side that we're hopeful to to get set up at at Florence as well so there's definitely um, call it operational uh, expertise that we can bring to Florence and yeah, that's what we're that's what we're in the process of doing now as we as we prepare for the operational phase, commercial operations of Florence.
0: Arizona's a just a, a good jurisdiction for copper anyway here.
1: Yeah, it's right in the belt. I mean, really of Florence, we're we're right in the copper belt there. I mean we've got you know, it's a historical mining area. There are copper mines in the area, of course. There's a smelter not far away. There's a great pool of, of talent down there in terms of and, and of course all the suppliers and contractors so they don't you don't need a lot of things imported per se it's it's all right there in the
0: region. Well, for potential investors who are on the sidelines listening here, Stuart market cap of the company stands about six hundred million u s dollars. What would you say to them at this stage and at current price levels?
1: There's lots of room uh, for upside here, and I think it's going to be driven. By the developments um, at our Florence project, um, as I've said here, it's you know we really don't believe we're getting value for that. Florence is a $700 million U.S. dollar after-tax NPV, and that's a three-dollar copper, three ten copper, I believe. So there's lots of value to be created there. Um, we think we've de-risked that project. Technically, permitting is is coming soon. That'll be a catalyst, of course. Yeah, we think there's lots of upside uh, for shareholders in the coming coming year, and then of course at, at, at Gibraltar we continue to uh, you know have great leverage to the copper price there. We're taking advantage of these high copper prices, and we see growing production in the second quarter, and then again in the second half of the year. Or so. We don't, we haven't, you know, because production was a little lower in the first quarter, we haven't shown the market yet, you know, what, what Gibraltar can really do in a $4 copper price environment. So we we will be doing that in in the next few
0: quarters. For potential surprises here, um, you know, permit in hand would be one item. And then, of course, uh. Construction commencement and everything staying on time, copper price, and then any positive developments coming out of New Prosperity or any of the other pipeline assets. Uh, I think is completely unexpected here and certainly not priced in. Um, yeah. Well, how about uh, best way for investors to reach out to the company?
1: Yeah, I mean you can reach out to our investor relations department, Brian burgo our VP IR. Mm-hmm. Um, it's always a good contact. Phone us or contact us through the website, and yeah, always happy to. Uh, talk to shareholders and potential new shareholders. So, yeah, don't hesitate to reach
0: out. Well, Stuart, thanks for taking the time. Uh, really appreciate it. Keep up the progress at TSECO.
1: Very good. Thanks, Andrew. Enjoyed the conversation and thanks again for having me on your, uh, your show.